This B Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. IXL's all-inclusive online teaching and learning platform simplifies ed tech needs and accelerates achievement in 95 of the top 100 U.S. school districts. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and it helps you assess student performance through actionable real-time insights at every level of your school or district. This one solution performs work that typically requires dozens of different tools. Want to find out why so many leading districts trust IXL? Visit IXL.com forward slash B-E. That's IXL.com forward slash B-E. This is TL Talk Radio, Season 2, Episode 4. Welcome to TL Talk Radio, a regular podcast with Lynn Funihet and Randy Ziegenfuss, where our goal is to engage you in learning, motivate you to share your work, and inspire you to lead for the change we need in schools for the digital age. I'm Randy Ziegenfuss. And I'm Lynn Funihet, and hello and good evening, Randy. Hello, Lynn. Good so to be I'm, here. Good to be here, too. I'm really excited because in this episode, we welcome Barbara Bray. Uh, Barbara, who's a co-founder of Personal Personalized Learning, LLC, with Kathy McCloskey, co-author of the book Make Learning Personal, and founder-owner of My eCoach. Um, we're really excited to have Barbara as our first guest in our innovative podcast series. Um, Barbara is a creative learning strategist who is passionate about writing, bringing creativity and passion back to learning, and empowering educators to transform teaching and learning. So um, right up the alley of what we're trying to do with our teachers and leaders. And Barbara focuses on coaching, communities of practice, design thinking, project-based learning, and designing learner-centered environments. And wow, that is quite a list and, and so in line with the things that we've been talking about. So I'd like to welcome Barbara. Thank you and thanks for your time coming to our show today. Oh, you're welcome. This is an honor. It's so nice to have you spend some time with us uh, talking about personalized learning. And we both really enjoyed uh, reading your book, and we look uh, so forward to learning from you this evening. So uh, first question, one of my favorite books uh, is by author Warren Berger. It's called A More Beautiful Question, and we like to focus on questions around here. And uh, in that book, he describes a beautiful question as one that is ambitious and actionable. So what is the beautiful question behind your book, Make Learning Personal? Hmm, well, the big question is, how do learners learn best? You know, it just kind of frames it because right now we put so much focus on teaching, we forget learning. We forget to focus on the learner. So um, I could probably give you more questions, but I think we'll just stick with one question. How do learners (laughs) learn best? How's that? That's wonderful. And so give us a sense, like how do learners learn best? Why is that important for us to focus on? Why not focus, keep focusing on this idea of teaching? Why do we want to focus on learners? Well, today's learners are different. And um, we have so many options available for them. When you think about, um, well, one is we've been teaching the Googleable. Can I, did I say that right? Googleable? <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, and not teaching the, the soft skills that they're going to need for their future. 
And right now with the focus on teaching to the test, standardized, uh, you know, the sta- teaching to the standards, um, pacing guides, and just so many things that focus on the teacher, the teacher is the one who's accountable for the learning. And when you look at looking at test scores, it's uh, unfortunate for the learners because it's really, um, they don't really care. <laughs> they care more <laughs> about um, what happens is they become in a compliant system. They become what we call learned helplessness. Mm. They've developed that where um, they just want you to teach them so sometimes they can just do school to get out of school. Mm. And we need to change that back so the learners feel like the learning's for them. It's, um, it's changing that compliancy to a feeling of agency, a feeling that they own the learning and they can drive it. And when we make that focus, we're really going to gonna change, change uh, teaching and learning. Well, I hope so, because teachers are burning out. We're having, I live in California, and we're having a problem. We have a shortage of teachers here because, one, it's very expensive to live here, but, two, they're just not valued as much as they should be. And um, the teaching profession, it just, um, with the focus on raising test scores and making them accountable, it, it just um, belittles them. And, and who they are. And we need to bring the profession back up and change the direction of what we're doing. And, um, and personalized learning. <laughs> yeah, and personalized learning is the way that we can do that. I think so. I know so, uh, only because I've seen it in action. And um, when teachers do change and put the focus on the learners, they've turned to us and said, oh, we never want to go back. <laughs> Those learners are so engaged, they're motivated, they're excited about learning again. I've heard it from parents, I've heard it from administrators. So um, it's just the taking a risk because it means changing the system. Yes, that, and that's difficult work and challenging work. Um, you mentioned a few things there that are actually in some of our later questions that we'll have an opportunity to follow up on. Um, the next question that we'd like to talk about is the idea of personalization, differentiation, and individualization. And in your book, you share a really powerful graphic which articulates the differences, and then you talk about each difference and um, explain what it looks like. Can you give us some very uh, brief basic tenets of personal learning and how it's different from differentiation and individualization, knowing that this concept is confusing and and needs clarification? Well, uh, first I'll give you a little history. kind of where Kathleen and I started is that uh, when in 2010, when the National EdTech Plan came out, it came out with these terms as they were related to instruction. And um, it really meant that the teacher was still under personalization. It was still their responsibility. And so we just looked at each other and said, we got to do something. (laughs) That's not what personalized learning is. So that's how our chart came to be. So um, personalization means that the learner is driving the learning. They're connecting the learning with interests, their talents, their passions, and their aspirations. And they're, you know, it, it, it's um, different than with differentiation. The teacher is looking at a group of learners and they're differentiating based on the different learners in their classroom, but it's still their responsibility. They're still accountable. 
with individualization, it's like the um, IEPs mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. the teacher or a paraprofessional will work with an individual uh, student and accommodate the learning needs for them based on um, whatever interventions they need and, and they accommodate them. But it's still teacher driven. So I don't know if I'm making it clear enough, but I, what we see is um, there was a push calling it differentiation, saying that's personalized learning. And teachers were like working harder than ever. Mm-hmm. They, 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 the amount of work and they were finding that kids were not, you know, they liked the idea of flipping the classroom and doing all of this work. But the, there, there just wasn't that buy-in to feel like they owned and could drive it. They still let the teacher do it. But when you turn the learning over to the kids, they it's like they take the reins and they want to go. It's just a different thing. And that's why uh, we put that chart together. Mm-hmm. Thank you. So you've, so you've described uh, earlier on sort of the oppressive nature of, of some of our aspects of our schooling system now and the focus on teaching. So if we turn the tables here and we make the learner and the learner's voice and the learner agency the primary thing, are we going to come up against some barriers where we've got students who've been in the system uh, for such a long time? How do they learn to to manage that? How do they learn to uh, value their own voice uh, in the learning process? What sort of suggestions do you have to deal with that barrier? Well, it takes a process. And in fact, we're just starting to build this. We're building a um, crosswalk with um, voice choice. uh, And actually, we have a continuum building agency. Um, And voice itself, when you look at just when you're first starting to um, encourage voice in the classroom, a teacher might ask for input. They might um, have them raise their hand and... Um, you know, just participate that way where the teacher's still driving it, where when we move to a voice where they're actually, um, let's say where they're, it, it's an activism, where they're, they're very excited about something, it's an interest, they're very passionate about something, mm-hmm. and they want to take it on their own, or they're leading. So they're they're actually leading a committee or Um, pulling others together and maybe even using social media to get the word out. So not everyone's ready to move to that level, but a teacher can start by, you know, opening the door that way. Same with choice. And so we have on our website some, this continuum where we're trying to show you can start doing it by dipping your toes into it. And that's why we created the stages of personalized learning. Stage one is still teacher-centered, but this is where you're starting to encourage voice and choice. So you're slowly just trying to find ways where you're comfortable because, you know, the teacher only knows what they were taught themselves as a learner, but and in teacher education programs, which is still kind of traditional. Um, so if you ask them to do something like this, you might want to start slowly. Mm-hmm. And so we're trying to build this, um, just some of these strategies in stage one for people so they know what voice and choice would be. Stage two is learner-centered, where you're starting to give them uh, more responsibility, but you're more 
you know, you're guiding them. You're more like a co-designer. So you might even come up with a project and ask for their help. You might redesign the classroom and say, you know, we want some feedback from you. Um, you might come up with a project and ask them to come up with some strategies for how to get to a certain outcome to, to stage three where they're driving it completely. And you're more of a partner in learning with them. You're guiding them on the side. So I just thought that might help. If It makes it a little easier for teachers if they know they just don't have to turn the keys over to the kids. Yeah. And they're, <laughs> yes, know, definitely. And I think that's one of the powerful parts in your book, too, that that you provide that that model, those stages in which uh, provides teachers uh, and us as leaders, too, with an easier uh, sort of an on-ramp to access and ease into this idea of personalized learning. So that's definitely something uh, for people who are interested in personalized learning to check out. Um, there was one other thing. Um, we've started working on like a personal learner profile mm-hmm. um, with the idea that the learner is putting in their strengths, their challenges, and how they prefer or need to learn. And then they have conversations with the teachers. So they're validating their learning. They're noticing how they learn. They reflect on it. And then what they're doing is they're building this personal learning backpack of the resources they need and also with like a portfolio, building um, ex- evidence of learning to showcase what they're doing. So um, we're trying to look at all different types of tools and and other resources that are out there to share uh, because it's it's I think with, with when you're transforming a whole system, teaching and learning, <laughs> it's you can't do it alone. It's everyone has to work together and pull their resources and come up with ideas. And it's it's a hugely complex task. And I think looking at this umbrella of personalized learning is is something that's really helping us here at least figure out the ways in which we might want to redesign this process of teaching and learning. We were really interested in the prof- the personal learning profile. We were actually talking about that this afternoon and looking at all the pieces that you've connected, you know, the learning styles and multiple intelligences and the the psychology and theory behind learner and learner practices and and the very, you know, I don't want to use the word easy, but um, teachers can use this personal learner profile that you've created, this this template that you've created to help students understand um, better what they need and, and how they learn. And I thought that was a really powerful piece of your book. Oh, thank you. Um, one of the things that Kathleen and I do is we use universal design for learning mm-hmm. as our lens, as our framework. Um, we don't use uh, learning styles or multiple intelligences now. We found that it it just doesn't seem to, um, supp- the research doesn't support it anymore. Mm-hmm. So um, we're looking at neurosciences and how we learn. Um, we work with someone in uh, the UK, Chris Watkins, who is um, a reader with, was a reader with the University of London, who has come up, done a lot on metacognition to help us understand how we learn. So we're pulling all these pieces together to try to figure out what would be the best in designing this profile. And then the teacher could take that information from the profile of each one and take four diverse learners and create a class learning snapshot. So what they look at is what are the strengths and challenges of these four learners? How do they prefer, you know, to or need to learn? 
and they can design, um, just kind of design this class learning snapshot that says, wow, I'm looking, it's kind of, I can see who has problems with organization. It looks like a lot of people in my class have that problem and can design some <laughs> instructional strategies or even learning strategies for the learners so they can take more responsibility. It's it's just an easy way to do it with um, instead of thinking they have to do something for all learners. Right, it, right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's really interesting. And, and I think I was reading your blog post on passion-based learning and one of your ideas about um, those entry points of choice and understanding your learners and learning more about them and how they learn. And it all connects and those resources will help our teachers. So thank you. Oh, so one of the things one of the things that we we hear about personalized learning and a challenge in personalized learning is the idea of covering standards and have you experienced this barrier and with others and through um, through your context and how would you navigate that how could you help us um, navigate that challenge? Oh, we hear a lot <laughs> from teachers who, who say. Oh, wow, we have to cover all the standards, but we also have these pacing guides. We have to teach to the test. We have all these things. And uh, so what we're looking at is uh, working really from the leadership point of view is how can we provide a flexible learning environment where um, teachers have more autonomy um, and can do some creativity, you know, like in designing uh, projects where it's thematic and can pull in the standards. Um, I was working with a group down in Riverside where they decided to put the standards on the wall that they were going to cover in a six-week period. They let the kids, this was sixth grade kids, I got to go down and observe them, and the kids would um, choose a project and identified the standards that they were going to be meeting. They had to be able to articulate the standards and then demonstrate with evidence uh, either the process or the product, how they did it. And so the principal asked me to come in and just talk to the kids. Don't talk to the teacher. <laughs> See if they can articulate it. And I, uh, one of the kids was just, um, that they told me that was ha- uh, in trouble uh, a few months before was very excited about this process. So when I showed up, I asked him how he's doing and which standards he's working on. And he goes, oh, I'm working on 6.2 figurative language. And I go, what does that mean? And he turned around and told me everything about it, showed me evidence, walked me through what he was doing with Minecraft and how he was designing something. And, you know, I was just kind of blown away. So I know kids can do it. It's how we present it. So it and just how we takes scaffold it for them to do it. That's right. The scaffolding and being okay if it doesn't work. Because then how can you, it's like you have to give them time to fail. Mm. So it means mm. that they they can't just teach to one standard. They, they're teaching to multiple standards. And somehow they're taking responsibility of meeting those standards. You're guiding them. Mm-hmm. That's an example of how they're taking the ownership of it. Mm-hmm. It's moving, mm-hmm. moving from the teacher to the learner. So uh, you have a, a pretty strong technology background and you've joined us just off of a Twitter chat. So um, <laughs> let's talk about the dimension of technology. 
and uh, this idea of personalized learning. So in your in your book, you mentioned uh, the idea of Generation Z. So what's the role of technology and digital literacy in this concept of personalized learning, particularly as it relates to Generation Z, that generation that we're currently educating? Okay, I have a granddaughter, <laughs> eight months. Oh, um, boy. Eight months old, my granddaughter um, picked up my phone and started swiping through it and looking at pictures and enlarging them and putting I mean I was watching her thinking, okay, she's she's wired different than I was or my daughter was. Mm-hmm. So that's one thing. The other is most kids have access now to even if it's a phone or some type of device. Um not all, but most do. Um I live in Oakland, California and I I see kids that are very you know, high poverty, they all have phones. <laughs> Somehow, mm-hmm. they all have phones. Mm-hmm. But they need to understand how to navigate. They need to learn the skills to choose the appropriate resources and tools for the task. And they need one other thing. They need to know that their digital footprint can turn into a digital tattoo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, oh, I love that phrase. Yeah, yeah, because what happens is they don't understand now because it's so easy. They need to have that digital uh, citizenship. Um, they're now part of a global world. They don't understand when they're on uh, some of the social media like Facebook or um, Snapchat or whatever they're using now that um, the whole world can see it. They need to be aware of what how to use these tools. So um, I think we need to figure out how we can get that across to them and how do we do that. And it should be part of everything they do. It shouldn't be an extra elective course. It should be built into preschool. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, on. because early on, you know, I, my, do- my granddaughter at four had an iPad. Um, but she, it was controlled and everything, you know, um, but I still realize she doesn't understand some things. And we need them to have the tech skills that are going to be required for most jobs now. And it's going to be a different world for them. It's, it's, they're going to be mostly, I was reading Wired Magazine about, we're looking at a 1099 world. It's going to be yeah. less mm-hmm. career jobs. It's going to be more contractors mm-hmm. or entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. Well, what does that mean? They, they have to know how to advocate for themselves. So it's going to be different. And the technology seems to be so perfect for that uh, learner agency, that uh, opportunity to personalize and to take those personal interests and investigate them, explore them, research them, share them, present them, connect with other people about them. And the technology just seems to be such a powerful conduit for learners to really take that on, to take that ownership, that personalization. Well, the other, they're putting so much up online already uh, that if we could just teach them how to use that to actually promote them for their future selves, you know, like um, find what they're interested in and be passionate about it and, and figure out a way that they can actually learn how to write about it and things like that instead of just, I mean, I'm not my, I, I'm okay about selfies. I do it myself, but it, <laughs> it gets a little out of control when they're not, you know, when they're not learning that they can do a lot with this technology that can really benefit them. 
Sure. Harness, mm. harness their energy and their power into something productive long term. Yes. Yes. So lots of work to do in this area, but definitely a, a, a powerful component in this idea of personalized learning. So you've mentioned a couple of things already that leaders can do to support um, teachers. For example, you talked about teachers need to be free to have a, a, a risk-taking environment and know that it's okay to fail and try again. Um, what's the role of leadership in designing this personalized learning model and what piece of advice would you give leaders as we embark on this journey? Model it. <laughs> um, it's really interesting. There was a school in Georgia we were working with and we, they wanted us to see it and the principal said, come to my school. We just built it. There's no principal's office. It was interesting. Oh. Yeah. It was like, well, what does that mean for you? He said, well, my role is to be part of the school, you know, and to do shared leadership and even have kids part of that leadership team. And um, so the kids were at the front desk. So they shared this responsibility of the school, which was different. And they had a collaborative spot for, um, you know, when they would have their meetings and they would sign up for it. It was different, you know, seeing that. There's also a school in Wisconsin, uh, it's called KM Explore, where the fourth grade teacher is the director, but she's also a teacher. Mm-hmm. They, they, they said that um, they found that it, the whole idea of top-down decision-making just wasn't working. They needed a way where everyone was making the decision and, the, and that kids had a say. So there is the Sudbury schools, I don't know if you know about those, mm-hmm. but they have self-governance where they have um, meetings and learners of all ages um, take turns at leading the meetings. And they have um, actual responsibilities in running the school. So that's a big jump for public school. That's a private school, so that would be a big jump. But the Mm -hmm. idea of how do you share and distribute distribute leadership how do you build a shared um, belief system so everyone has a you know they buy into it and there's a commitment to make it happen because we've seen a lot of places where they say oh yeah we're going to personalize learning it seemed to be like a um, kind of flippant <laughs> mm. it, it sounded like mm-hmm. a fad kind mm-hmm. of thing so they didn't get that buy-in and um, so some teachers said well this is just one more thing we'll watch it go Mm-hmm. So, you know, but those that really took the energy and the time to really invest in it to um, do, you know, the needs and needs to know on a regular basis to share um, uh, protocols on what's working, what's not working and have time to reflect on it. It works then, but it just takes um, it takes a big commitment to change well, one, high school's bell schedules. Mm-hmm. How do you can't really do this in 45-minute time periods around subjects? So that means your school might look different, might look more like, I don't know if you know Edvisions, but it's project-based. It's with advisories. It's all based on what kids um, have defined as their interest, and they have to identify the standards and meet those 
and they have an advisor that they sign up with and they have groups of uh, colleagues and peers that they um, design their projects with. Yeah, it sounds like, um, you know, there's a few big pieces being open to change, being willing to give up some control and knowing that your role looks different and sharing that leadership and empowering leaders around you um, as you move forward and, and make some system changes. And, and that the bell schedule is a great example. Well, it's flexible time. Mm-hmm. It might even be you might have some time uh, off off campus. So that means that there is time at home. It might be more like independent study for some kids. There might be internships and apprenticeships for um, those, uh, you know, like 11th and 12th graders. They might not be grade levels. There might be, if it's competency-based, it'll look different. So there's so many factors that come into place. But, you know, when you say voice and choice, Everyone should have a voice and choice in that community. They should at least agree mm-hmm. instead of saying, oh, well, this is all we have and this is what we have to do and we have to follow along. You know, it'd be nice if everyone was excited about it, including the parents and and the kids. <laughs> you know, it would be really fun. <laughs> yeah, it's also, it's, it's like building a culture and uh, mm-hmm. making it system-wide. And we know that changing systems is a, is a hugely complex task. And uh, leadership, I think, is a big, a big part of that. Uh, and especially as we're trying to implement things like personalized learning and uh, other, other kinds of, of programs that might use technology. And speaking from our experience, uh, leadership is, is key in that if you want to change the system. Otherwise, you end up having pockets of these things that happen in classrooms and and all that's good but if you want to make these uh ideas more systemic the leadership is the key piece and you've given us some really uh good things to think about in terms of our leadership and and what we'll need to do to move forward in this area leadership is really good when you don't know they're leading you know like it's almost like it's transparent Mm. it's um it's they've somehow you're you're molding you know you're guiding and they're making choices and everybody's following along and it's probably was your idea in the first place right but somehow the way you're doing it is in the different it it doesn't seem like it's coming from you yeah that's the big challenge of leadership (laughs) yeah that's the hardest part how do you do it you know what you want but you don't know how to do it without getting more people on board, but um, how do you do it? So it, there are some strategies. It's just um, uh, a challenge, but it's also very exciting. Mm-hmm. So we started out the interview by asking you about the beautiful question behind the book. So let's sort of wrap this up as we come to the near the end. What beautiful questions are you currently thinking about, whether they're related to personalized learning or something else? Well, we talked about learner agency and uh, I think learn- we, we just wrote a, a collaborative blog, blog post and we started it with why is learner agency the missing link? So maybe that could be a really beautiful question. Yeah, yeah. And I think yeah. that it's the, the, the concept of learner agency is one of those key things that if we want to change our system and turn it around to be, you know, 
we want to create those expert, passionate learners, uh, learner agency is definitely going to be one of those key things. And the, a beautiful question, I think, is how do we how do we make that happen? That idea of more learner agency. One of the things that I found is um, I'm really into design thinking right now and how to get that process involved in the learning process. Um, one of the things in part of the design thinking is how do you build in empathy into your learning process? So if we could involve kids in looking at problems in the community so they could solve them, so it makes it real. Mm. So how do you make learning real, relevant, mm-hmm. personal? It's, that's the one I like. And that taps into the passions of the learner too, gets them excited about something they care about. Mm-hmm. Well, um, I wrote a, wrote a quote long ago, and you might have saw it on my website, <laughs> barbabray.net, that one, um, was, and if I can remember it, because I've changed it a few times, but it was um, to um, go for your strengths and your interest, to find your um, passion, and then you'll discover your purpose. So... I get excited about passion-based learning because we um, lost it. We need to bring it back. We need to bring creativity and fun and make learning something that they want to do the rest of their life. You know, it's exciting. And that definitely comes through in your book. We Mm -hmm. really enjoyed reading it. Thank you. Thank you. I'll have to tell Kathleen. (laughs) She'll be excited. (laughs) Lots of great insights. And we have a couple of teachers who are reading it, too, and who will share it with the larger group. So, um we provided a lot of different books for teachers to select from, and, and some teachers are definitely interested in this topic. So sharing, sharing your work um, across our district. So speaking of sharing your work, how can we and our listeners learn more about your work and contact you? A chance for um, you to give us some of your sites and information, and we'll post that on our links, on our show notes, so that anyone can go ahead and click through those. Okay. Uh, well, the one is Personalized Learning is our website. It's uh, www.personalizedlearning.com. There's no D. It's Personalized Learning. And um, we also have a chat, P-Learn Chat. Um, it's a Twitter chat that we have every other Monday night, 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And um, that's there. On that our website, we have our book, um, and we have a course that we teach called the five W's of personalized learning. And um, my own site, I have barbabray.net. I mean, I have so many. Should I just give them to you and then you can put Absolutely. them on? Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. We're happy to put them on. Some of the other things is that I have my own Twitter account, which is bbray27. You can, I love it if I can follow people and learn so much. I learn a lot online. Um, still learning. It's like you said, am I into technology? Someone just put me on Voxer. (laughs) I've been using it too. (laughs) There's just so much I can't keep up. It's really fun. But um, one other thing, Kathleen and I are in the process of writing a new book uh, on the how to personalize learning. It's a getting started to personalize learning. And so um, we're almost done with our first draft. So that will be coming out next oh, fall. Oh, very exciting. Exciting, very exciting. Yes, we'll definitely check it out. 
And thank you so much, Barbara, for joining us tonight. And we'll continue to read more about your work and on your site, uh, Rethinking Learning, and hope to join you in a Twitter chat soon. Barbara hosts, as she mentioned, um, hashtag PLearnChat every other Monday at 7 p.m. And the next one on Learner Agency, which she shared tonight a bit, is December 14th um, of this year and many more to follow after that. Oh, that's good. Thank you for sharing that. <laughs> sure. Our pleasure. And thank you so much, Barbara, for giving your time to us this evening. Uh, we've really enjoyed our conversation and learned much from you and hope that our listeners do as well. Oh, thank you. It was an honor to be here. Thank you so much. Thank you. Each episode, we leave you with a question or two to think about with the idea of provoking some conversation. So this week's questions, how are you moving towards personalized learning in your classroom or school? What successes and challenges have you been facing? Visit our blog, tltalkradio.org, and leave a comment. You can also explore additional resources that were mentioned during this podcast interview with Barbara Bray. Please follow us on iTunes and consider leaving a review. We'll see everybody in the next episode for a conversation with another innovative thought leader. Have a great night, Randy. Bye. Want to simplify your school's technology, save teachers time, and improve students' performance on state assessments? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com forward slash BE to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all of these goals. That's IXL.com forward slash BE.